podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Eagerly awaiting another Wembley trip and uh, a terrible, terrible looking run of fixtures, which should be splendid to watch and witness. Yeah, we have a, a very interesting April coming up with, at the moment, eight games. It could become nine if we get past Benfica and they decide not to move either the Everton game or the Newcastle game. I'd imagine probably the Newcastle game might get bumped a day, but the only logical thing I can really see happening. Yeah, I assume so. I mean, you know, the games are always able to be moved for TV, but if some of the TV companies are picking specific games, then they are less inclined sometimes to move the Rome ones anyway, aren't they? So we will see. Um, I think one one thing's for sure, whichever days and channels we're on, we're we're probably going to be the focus of many people's attentions over that week, Liverpool supporters and otherwise. Agreed. Agreed. So as things stand, we play Watford home on the 2nd of April in the Premier League. Then it's Benfica away in the Champions League on the 5th. Manchester City away on the 10th in the Premier League. Benfica at home. In the, league, in the Champions League on the 13th, then City at Wembley on the 16th. Uh, then we get United at home on the 19th, Everton at home on the 24th. The Champions League semi-final would then be in the middle of the following week. We're due to play Newcastle in the 12.30 kickoff on the Saturday. So if we are... Are we the Wednesday game or the Tuesday game? Oh, we won't know yet. If we're the Tuesday game, that's a really short turnaround between Everton and what could be Bayern Munich, but it is at least at home. Um, if it's the Wednesday game, that Newcastle game has to be moved. It has to be moved till the Sunday. Then we'd have Bayern again the following week. And that is a very, very difficult run. It's a very difficult run, but it's what we want. It's the run we want because... It means that we're still in all three competitions with one in the bag already. If we can get past City, that means that we'll have a May with an FA Cup final. If we can get past Benfica, it means we're playing Champions League football into May. And that's really what you want. And if we can hold up in the league, we could well come out of April top of the league with Tottenham at home, Southampton away and and, uh, Wolves at home standing between us and the Premier League title. So it's it's really, really exciting, but it is going to be a hell of a month. I, I said this on, on the Daily Red today, Carl. I think the key is going to be making sure that one of Naby or Thiago starts every single game. 
Yeah, that role is going to be really, really important for especially those bigger matches. You know, that's that's one of the ones which is most important for defensive protection. It's one of the ones which is so important in transitions for us as well. And just in general terms of keeping possession, you know, there's there's still the occasions where in the biggest of games where it gets really frenetic and you're struggling to keep hold of possession. Liverpool kind of back off a little bit at times, I think, mm. and we rely a little bit more on, on our defensive ability rather than in possession ability. Not all the time, but at times. And I think that, that second midfield role, especially when it's Diago, you notice it most of all. I think it's fair to say that we do fare better in general when uh, when that particular eight is really, really on their game. Yeah, I agree. The other concern I have, and it may lead to some rotation in the right side centre-back role and the right-sided eight role, is that that's a lot of games in very short spells. It's basically, it's two games a week, each week for April. And Jordan Henderson and Joel Matip have not gotten injured yet this season. And generally too, t- do tend to get injured. Now, one of the ways we've kept them fresh is that while Henderson has made the most starts, he's nowhere close to the most minutes. And Matip has been given frequent breaks with Kanate coming in. So I'm guessing Kanate will see a fair bit of action in this month. I could see him potentially playing both Benfica games and maybe United at home with Matip getting the other ones as, as things stand, you know, with Newcastle there. But I think he'll get both Benf- Benfica games and United at home with Joel playing the other ones. And then potentially Curtis Jones getting a couple of starts maybe. Maybe Harvey Elliott gets a start in midfield and they try and keep Henderson from having to play, you know, say three games in eight days or whatever it would be, or three games in six days, as is the case with City, Benfica at home, and then City in the, in the Cup uh, semi-final. So I, I think th- those two positions, plus obviously the Nabi Thiago platoon, they're the ones Klopp will have to keep an eye on because they're the ones who are probably most at risk of suffering from an from a you know a muscular injury or some sort of fatigue injury. Yeah, I mean you can't do anything about it some of the time. You can get all kinds of you know impacts and everything, but I think we have in general managed the minutes of quite a lot of these players really well this season. I mean you mentioned it just before actually, but even when we've had Henderson start three and four games in a row, in two or three of those he'll come off after 60, 70 minutes. Mm. And you know, Matip getting fairly regular rests and we've barely noticed the difference when he's been playing really well and then comes out of the team for a game because it's that high-level competition at the minute. It's It's been very, very beneficial. And I don't necessarily think that we'll need all the players fit all the way through because you can, with the depth that we have now, have you know one or two missing from each line and still have really, really good starters. But you cannot have two or three missing from each line for seven games in a row. Otherwise, you're, you're going to be relying too much on the same starters. Exactly. Exactly. And we know that Trent currently has a hamstring injury, but the update today is that he should be fine. Uh, You'd wonder if maybe that's going to be just one of those Ryan Giggs type of injuries where he can't play for the international team, but he can play for his club side. News today from the Ghanaian Football Federation is that Nabi Keita has been withdrawn from their squad for the international break with a knee injury. And I do wonder again if that's a little bit of Jurgen 
just wanting to keep players. Naby obviously wasn't involved. Oh, he was involved. Naby played yesterday. What am I thinking? Naby played yesterday and played really well. So didn't look injured. So maybe that's a bit of that as well, uh, trying to keep him as fit as possible. Yeah, it could well be. And to be perfectly honest, if that is the case, about time that we looked after a few of our players. Good. <laughs> yeah, you know, this this is not a case of, you know, it's October and a, a couple of qualifiers which are important all the rest. No, Liverpool are going for four tr- trophies this season. Yeah, we have to put ourselves first. And I think mm. probably there are a few players who are... Uh, I'm not saying that this is definitely the case, but it, it could well be that they, they're looking at that situation and thinking, this is a really big year for us. You know, Yes, the World Cup is later this year, but it is a lot later this year. This is happening now. Across the next two months, this entire season could be one of the greatest of all time for any club in any country. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we know that Mo and Mane have those big, big games, so there was no way to pull them back out of their squads. That's that's you know the world cup but the plus side of it is one of them now they may not both be at the club next season but if they are one of them won't be going to the world cup so one of them's going to get an extended break in the middle of next season and i would guess it's probably mo because i think senegal should beat egypt over two legs yeah but you know, it does mean one of them's going to be at home for the World Cup, which is nice. You can wrap them up in cotton wool and keep them safe. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, right. We have a question from Young Drinkle before we go on to the main topic of today. It's been announced that Paolo Dybala is to leave Juventus this summer. What is your view on where he will go is he, at 28, someone you would consider signing for Liverpool on a free tra- well, a, a Bosman transfer this summer? No, I wouldn't, because I've said before, I think Dybala's best role is when he's playing just off a of forward, a second forward. We don't really play that way. He's not dynamic enough now. I don't think he's had anywhere near the consistency in playing time and match-winning ability, to be perfectly honest, over the last few years. And you can say a part of that is down to Juventus, because they have been a bit... Well, they were rubbish last year, let's put it that way. And then this year they were very, very hit and miss. But again, he's not really played that much, I wouldn't say. He's you know just over 1,500 minutes in the league. Fairly regular starter, but I, I don't think that we've seen the best of what Paolo Dybala was capable of you know, from mm. a younger age through to now what should be in his prime. He's still very, very good. And you know, if I was a Champions League side, I would definitely be looking at him. But I don't think he fits Liverpool, and I don't think his capabilities that you showed over the last, let's say, 24 months suggest that we should pursue it. I agree. I do agree. I think he's better off going to a club. I think it's also where where the system is more built around him and he can really be the guy, and that wouldn't be the case at Liverpool. You look at his numbers, and he was on a really meteoric rise at Juventus. He had 15-6, and he went 23-7. and uh, 16, 17, he was 19 and 9. 17, 18, he has 26 and 7. Then in 18, 19, he drops to 10 and 2. 19, 20, he picks back up 17 and 14. And then last season was a bit of a, a bit of a poor season with injuries and with Juve been a mess. Five goals, three assists. This season, he has uh, 13 goals and six assists. A decent return for less than 2,000 minutes in all competitions. But 
he was season by season getting better until 1819, which just coincidentally happens to be the season Cristiano Ronaldo arrived in Turin and his numbers cratered. They had that one good season playing together and then again, Dybala cratered last season. Where would you guess he goes? My money would be on Inter Milan. He's got a really, really good relationship with Beppe Maratta, the general manager, or he could be the president of, of Juventus or of Inter Milan at this point. He's the guy that built the great Juventus team before Paratici took over and ruined everything. I would guess that's where he goes. They've been credited with heavy interest in him for about a year and a half now. And I think that's a move that would work for him. They'll be a Champions League team. It works for for Inter. They get a, a top class player proven in Syria for you know what will be a, a hefty signing on fee and big wages, but not extortionate money. And it screws Juventus over nicely because this is a club that turned down eighty million from a couple of years ago when they were trying to be Billy Big Bollocks, and now they're going to get nothing. So my hope is that he goes to Inter, and I think that's where he will go to Inter, but. What do you think is the most likely outcome for him? So I think Inter's a pretty good shout, especially if Lautaro does leave this summer. I mean, he's obviously another one who's been linked with moves away for a while. I personally wouldn't sign Dybala if Lautaro stays or signs a new contract or anything like that. I think I would go with Lautaro at this stage. Uh, but a good replacement for him, for sure. I don't think uh, the way that they play, especially you know, two up front, you'd want to have Dybala, Lautaro Martinez, and um, Correa as well, three really similar support forwards, and then just one main one in Zeko. I, I think that that's probably too much. You're not going to get the best out of any of them because you're going to be trying to keep all of them happy, and even Correa doesn't really get as much game time as he should already. So I would only do that if Lautaro leaves. I think the other option is Spurs because Paratici just likes to sign players he's already heard of or worked with, and that's just what mm. he does. That, that's his contact book. It's just two pages, like who's at Juventus and who was at Juventus. And that's yes, it. basically. <laughs> um, who have Inter been linked with is also yeah. a, a little small appendix yeah. in the back. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one, I think, is Barcelona. And I think just because Ooh, they've been linked to him plenty of times before and they've often suggested, you know, he's, he's the type of one that they'd like to play that you know, alternative, messy, false nine, all that kind of rubbish. Uh, I don't think that they should. I think that the way that they build now with people like Ferran Torres, that's more the way that they should go. Much more dynamic players who can play across multiple roles. And I mean, Aubameyang's done perfectly well for them as well so far. We'll see how long that lasts for, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go for quite a few free transfers. People like Kessie is supposed to be very close to an agreement. Masraoui, very close to an agreement. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them go for him as well. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good shout. I hadn't really considered Barca, but I do think that's a really good shout. Um, I think the Frank Kessie signing is really weird for them, but you know why not? He's he's a very very good player. He'll do really well in La Liga. His his game should translate really well there, and Dybala is another one I think that should translate well there as well. Uh, on Joaquin Correa, by the way, my Inter friends tell me that there's absolutely no chance that they'll have him there next season, um, that he was only really bought in to keep Simone and Zaghi happy or as part of the move to get Inzaghi, and that they're all looking forward to him leaving. So 
I think he's just been very unfortunate not to get the run of games. And when he has come in, it's kind of been, he's been in the cold, he's been out in the cold, he's brought in and expected to be brilliant straight away. And there's very few players that can do that. He's the type of player that needs rhythm, needs to build himself up, needs two or three games to sort of get into the flow of things. Uh, we did miss as well, obviously, that Andy Robertson is out of the Scotland squad because he has COVID. Um, so that's, you know, that's another positive for us. Now, whether he joins up with them for the second game of their break, we don't know, but fingers crossed he's sitting at home as well with not much to do. Um, right. The purpose of today is another rebuild. We are going today to fix Manchester United. That is the plan we have set ourselves. So to set the stage in Two parallel universes, myself and Carl, have been appointed as the president of football operations at Manchester United. It's an, it's an American term for American owners. You see it frequently in basketball and in the NFL. So we are going to pick our choices as sporting director and head coach or manager. We are allowed to sell five players. We have a starting budget of 200 million. Anything brought in from sales is added to that budget. We also have to look at the players who are out of contract for United this summer. Those are Pogba, Lingard, Cavani, Mata and Lee Grant. Any of those leaving takes away one of our selling spots. So only five players can leave the club in this rebuild that we're going to do. For the purposes of this, we're going to pretend that Mason Greenwood does not exist. We're not going to include him in our teams. We're not going to sell him because what's going on, who knows? Who knows what happens with him? Uh, So that's basically the premise. 200 million to spend. Five players at a maximum can leave. You can then add whatever you bring in to your 200 million. You've got to appoint a sporting director. You've got to appoint a head coach. And that's basically it. So where do you want to start, Carl? Do you want to start with the appointment of a sporting director or do you want to go straight to your manager slash head coach? Where do you want to go? We be sensible and we start at the very top and work our way down. Yeah, agree. So because I'm me, I'm going to be interfering in the day-to-day operations. (laughs) So... For my sporting director, I want someone with a brilliant track record in recruitment. I want someone who's proven he can build title winners. So I'm going for Luis Campos, currently unemployed. He has been the sporting director at Monaco and at Lille. He was also the chief scout at Real Madrid when Mourinho was there. He built title winners at Monaco. He built a title winner at Lille. He is absolutely outstanding when it comes to talent identification. And that's why he's the guy I'm going to go for. I've gone for Luis Campos as my sporting director. Yeah, I mean, one of the very, very best in the world, to be fair. Um, Context book and recruitment in terms of judgment, I think, superb. Very, very few you could get who would be above him in either regard. A little bit of a surprise that nobody's already made the the biggest of offers to him. You know, you think of some of the top clubs who have either 
needed to rebuild or have wanted mm. to rebuild or have tried to rebuild several times and failed epically every single time. He does seem to be one who wants a specific type of project to work on. And uh, if you you know, provide him with the sort of environment, I presume the funds as well, but I don't think that that's quite as important to him that he has to spend mm. big money. He's obviously quite often about team building over a longer period of time. And That's a big thing for me. He's he's brilliant at spotting those young players, bringing them into the setup, whether it's the academy or, you know, the, the squad for the first team, and then overseeing their development as well to the point where we end up seeing them move on generally from the clubs he's been at for big, big money. So that, that was a big part of it as well, because one of the things I want to do at United is obviously rebuild that academy put a lot more emphasis on it and, and get it back to churning out regular high-end talents. Yeah, I mean, United are one of the clubs who should always be capable of bringing through, you'd imagine, one to boost the squad a year, and then every maybe couple of years you would think one who is looking like they could be a genuine first-team option. So they obviously it, it's a little bit cyclical in terms of academy football, I think, and especially academy production, because... The more that come through, the better the next group have to be, and that's a very difficult thing to keep going just for infinity. But across a period of four, five, six years, you certainly want around that sort of average number anyway. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So who have you gone for as your sporting director? Right, well, since I'm actually having a lot of input in the players that we want in the initial rebuild, I've actually gone for a sporting director who does have a superb track record and is phenomenal at the job but is far more i would term the negotiator rather than the recruitment eye for a D, uh, eye for a player sort of specialist mm. so i am making the most of quite the situation let's just leave it at that in west london and i am taking marina granovskaya away from chelsea Ooh, was not expecting that was genuinely not expecting that, but I do love that one. She has done an absolutely outstanding job at Chelsea. I would guess she leaves with Roman and therefore becomes available. That has been reported um, over the last few days. Yeah, and I, I think that's I think that's a great shout. If you're going to handle a lot of the recruitment and you're going to get the best people in, which is also part of this, we, we'd want to get in the very best people in in all aspects, you know, whether it's analytics, sports science, recruitment, whatever, you want the very best people. And she's someone that can also be a good guiding hand for you as well because she's overseen a lot of these things at Chelsea. She can give you pointers here and there, a very good sort of right-hand man for you to have, you know, as you look to rebuild this club. So that's, that's a great shout. Right then, uh, I'll let you go first on the next one. Who is your manager slash head coach? Okay, so this one took me quite a long time to come up with, actually. And I think the reason is United are, whatever they might want to think about it, and whatever Gary Neville might want to think about it, fucking miles away from winning the title. So I think that they need potentially two steps of managers, as as quite a few teams have done uh, when they when they fall away from title contention year on year so i wanted someone who i do think is capable of winning titles possibly now if they had a better team and possible and definitely in the future because i do think that they're decent head coaches but also not one who is so so big that if they didn't win the title it would look like an immediate failure 
So mm. I have gone for Julian Lopetegui. He he was my last cross off on my list. I had I had five, and as I whittled them down, he was my last cross off. I think he is an outstanding coach. Great track record of youth development. Very flexible tactically. He's proven he can win major honours, winning the Europa League. He's obviously done very, very well with Sevilla this season, has them in second. Recent form, been a bit shaky, but, you know, it's been an, an excellent season for them. Uh, I, I I love him. I think he's an excellent manager. And I think, I think he's also due a bit of work in his career, a bit of good luck, rather, in his career because he was manager of Spain, he agrees to join Real Madrid. It gets leaked. He gets sacked as Spain manager on the eve of the World Cup. He goes to Real. He's out the door within a couple of months because, you know, reasons. And it looked like from the highest of highs, his career had absolutely crashed. And that could have been the end of him. But I think it shows incredible character to then walk into a big job like Sevilla which is always a difficult environment as well because of the nature of Sevilla with constantly having to sell your best players. And he's been able to craft a team that are absolutely outstanding. I love that shout. So who was your one who survived the final cross then? So what I did was I went with somebody because I'm looking at this as this is year one of the rebuild. So this team is not the team. This is... This is the path to what the team is going to be. So I wanted somebody who is a proven winner, but is still young, hungry, can grow with the team, tactically dynamic. I went with Ruben Amorim of Sporting. Won the title, obviously, with Sporting last season. Done a very good job this season. Did a great job at Braga while he was there as the caretaker. Um, I went with Ruben Amorim. Purely on the basis that I think it's like like what you were thinking as well. If he comes in and doesn't win a league title for the first two or three years, I don't really mind. He's not like bringing in. He's not a win-now appointment. He's the type of guy that can come in and actually build a culture, put an identity in place, craft something that's actually going to last. When Gary Neville was fawning over... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and how United were building something and we could clearly see they were building nothing. They were just throwing shit against the wall, hoping something stuck and buying the shiny things, not the pieces that fit the puzzle. I, I look at someone like Amram and I think he's the guy that can come in and you can actually build a team with him and he will develop with that team and they'll grow together. And he's got such a clear idea of what he wants his teams to be that I think it makes it easier for myself and Luis Campos to work with him to build this team for the future. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a tremendously talented young manager. Um, I don't think that the lack of experience is a big, big issue here either, because mm. although it's obviously relative, when you go to one of Portugal's big three, there is only one expectation, and that is you win the league or you go damn close. Like So, yes, it's bigger. United are bigger. They're a bigger name and all the rest of it, but it's still only in relative terms. You know, He has still had that uh, experience and that, that need to be the best and has succeeded in it. Maybe not so much 
this season, but last year very very good. And they didn't, you know, a, a club like Sporting would not have paid the fees that they did to get him out. Was it ten million euro? Mm. Um, if if they didn't believe not just in his ability, but also in the fact that he was going to get a lot better because they make investments. That's what they do in their people, and they would fully expect to get even more when he moves on, just like they would do with a you know buying a central uh, defender or anything like that. Exactly, and like last season, he wins the league and league cup. This season, he's won the league cup with with Sporting. They're not in all likelihood they're not going to win the Portuguese league because they're six points behind Porto. With I think it's only seven games left to go, isn't it? There's thirty four games in their season. Yeah, so the seven games to go, they're six points behind. But for him to outperform Benfica in both seasons. The way he has, I think, is really impressive. And, you know, because they, they've spent a fortune. They brought back George Jesus, and there was the whole big thing of, you know, we're building a super team, and they were actually building, well, a, a dumpster fire. Um, but I, I think he's done really, really well. And he's the only team, like, he's the only reason Porto aren't running away with the title this season. He's the only reason Porto didn't win the title last season. I, I think he's I think he's really good. I, I, I would rather have him... Who's worked as the other thing with him as well is when he took over at Sporting, they were still a little bit chaotic. You know, they were still dealing with the fallout of the summer when Leao and uh, Rui Patricio and that had left the club after the fans had invaded the the, the stands, or the, the, the training ground. There was still a big groundswell of support for people wanting change at the very top of the club. And yet he's been able to come in there, get the fans on board, rebuild the culture and the confidence of the club. Whereas with Ten Hag, as much as I admire him, he's worked in a very comfortable environment. He's had the best people everywhere. And yes, he he took over an IX team that hadn't won a league title in a few years. But he also took over an Ajax team where he had Frankie de Jong, he had Matthias de Ligt, the team that had been to the final of the Europa League. He took over one of the best young groups of players in the league, sorry, in Europe, whereas Amram took over a, a bit of a mess. Like Bruno was gone, there was question marks everywhere up and down the team, and he very quickly put something together and, and turned it around and won the league. So that that's more impressive for me. I think he's a bit more suited to this sort of longer term, let's build something than Ten Hag, who, as much as I like him, I think he needs everything to be perfect around him, or I I do think he might flounder a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Ten Hag, I think, is one of the most interesting ones to watch, where he goes and what he does, and really really could go either way like he could be one of those ones who has just had a perfect setup and he went in at the perfect time is very good absolutely but mm. the environment is is so important and not just ten hag himself but ix as well obviously they've now got to replace um people above the manager as well marco of mars if anybody didn't see has actually already landed himself a new job yeah can only hope that there's some sort of you know Training program is that is that what's required in this instance? I'm not really sure what the protocol. <laughs> just just is. take it. Just don't let him have a mobile phone. That yeah. man no, has no, not, com- no company phone. No company phone at all. Like he's at Antwerp now. If anyone hasn't seen, yeah, that. Royal Antwerp have made the decision to appoint him. I'd imagine there'll be some backlash 
But at the same time, it is quite the fall from grace to go from, you know, Ajax to Royal Antwerp. I know Antwerp are having a very good season. I believe they're second or third in, in Belgium at the moment. But still, that's quite the fall from grace because he was been talked about as the next United sporting director or potentially going back to Arsenal where he had some good years in his, in his career. Um, right. Let's look at the playing side. So, the following players are out of contracts. Paul Pogba, Jesse Lingard, Edinson Cavani, Juan Mata and Lee Grant. Each one of them who leaves eats into one of your spots to sell players. So, I'll, I'll go first on this one. I am letting Paul Pogba leave. I don't care that it's bad for business. I think he is one of the most talented players in Europe, but for the culture that I want to build, he would be absolutely toxic. He brings too much attention on himself, and that's just not for me. Uh, I'm letting Jesse Lingard go as well, because though I think he's a decent player, he's best known for dancing and you know handshake celebrations with Pogba. He hasn't shown me the type of ambition I want to see. Like he, This is a guy who's been happy enough to sit on the bench at United for most of his career. So that's not for me. And I'm letting Cavani go as well because I just don't think he wants to be there. I mean, how many times this season have we already heard that Cavani trained on the Friday and then made himself unavailable on the Saturday? It's been nonstop Cavani in talks with Club X since the day he signed. I don't think he ever really wanted to go there. I don't know that they ever really wanted to sign him. It was just that no one else wanted him. They were just desperate to get somebody in. And I think that's kind of where they found the marriage. So I would let him go. He's also 35 and we're looking to get, get younger and, and, you know, move in a different direction. So Edinson Cavani, thank you for your service. You, you did get some good goals in your time at United, but you're not for us anymore on your way, son. No, I've got two of them, um, but Cavani, unfortunately, I've had to, you know, place him in restraints and tell him to sign a new deal because some overlord who doesn't actually work for the club in my universe has told me I'm only allowed to get rid of five people, mm. so I can't get rid of him because there are others that I need to. So Pogba gone, Lingard gone, Cavani, Juan Mata, hopefully lowered salaries one year extra. Yeah, and Lee Grant kept because he's a good training ground keeper and he's quota, so you know, happy enough to keep him. One Matt that I've kept, because I think he's a positive personality to be around. I do I do see what you're saying with Cavani, but for me, I, I just... I'm actually tempted to... No, I've, I've made the decision to let him go. I'm going to let him go. I don't want any distractions around my squad. He's also only two years younger than my manager, and I don't want him eyeballing the manager and thinking he can get away with any of his nonsense. So, uh, yeah, out you go, son. Right. Who else? So you now have three slots to sell players. Mm. I have two. Who are your three players that you want to sell? So first of all is Dean Henderson. Uh, I had to make a decision on one of these goalkeepers going because I don't think it's done either of them very good over the last two years. I think last season, De Gea's form really, really suffered by having not just the competition there, but the constant speculation that he was being replaced as number one. And... This year, I think that De Gea has probably been as good as he was 
three seasons ago when he was really the only reason United were in the top four. Uh, he's not the perfect type of goalkeeper that I like for my, you know, for my teams, the way that I like them to play and all the rest of it, but he is exceptional. He is a very, very good goalkeeper. And looking at the prices that people like um, Martinez went to Aston Villa for, Ramsdale went to Arsenal for, I would expect to get at least 30 million for Henderson. So I would be prepared to offload him for that. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, now I've gone the opposite direction with my goalkeepers. I'm, but it's not, I don't know if it's the opposite direction, but I'm keeping both of them. But we are pushing for Dean Henderson to become the number one just to see what we have. Just to see what we have. If he's good enough, we'll keep him and we'll sell De Gea next summer. If he's not, we'll probably try and offload both of them. But there were other priorities that I put ahead of, of the goalkeeper position. I think Amram can make it work with with Henderson or De Gea, considering how he plays. So, um, But I can absolutely see the logic. And I think you're right. Given the prices that that um, Aaron Ramsdale went for, I definitely think $30 is fair. I think Spurs are on the lookout for a new keeper. I think there'll be other clubs definitely in the market. Newcastle will definitely be in the market for a new keeper. So I think that's fair. Second on the list, just ahead of him, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Basically, I build from the back when I'm doing a team rebuild, and he is not in any of the formations that I would have chosen to set up, depending on which managers I did bring in in the end. I wouldn't have him as the style of right-back that he offers. I think there are already a couple at the club who are, at the very least, his equal defensively and better than him on the ball. And again, I, I suppose they're going to make a big loss compared to what they paid for him, but you could probably still get in a chunk of money. I've put down 20 to 25, but I'd probably accept less. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably looking somewhere. You could probably get like 15 to 18 and then add-ons, bringing it to 25, realistically. Um, there are things he's good at, and in the right type of team where he's not asked to be in any kind of outlet on the ball, you can probably get away with him. Like... I look at Crystal Palace, who I've really enjoyed this season, and I see them playing Joel Ward and Nathaniel Klein at right back, and I think, well, you know, there's a fit for him. There's somewhere he he's already been. He knows the culture. He knows what it's about. I think Vieira can improve him. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely think there'll be there'll be interest in Wan Bissaka. I've gone a different direction with him, um, but I, again, I'll, I'll explain that later. Uh, who's next on your list to go? You've got one more sale. That would be the front man, Cristiano. Mm. Again, um, I applaud his goal-scoring talents and the fact that he can win a game like Spurs on his own. But I, team-building-wise, I would like this to be a uh, three or four times out of every four or five games that the team is able to do this, not just once out of every seven when he does it. And that's not really for me, that kind of individualistic player who cannot really do the things you want in attack um, I, I think I would be a lot more demanding of it, I think Julian Lopetegui as a coach is a lot more demanding of his forward players, I don't think it would work in the slightest so again I haven't put down a, a high fee, I've put anywhere between 5 to 15 to be honest because obviously the biggest thing is wages with him but yeah. it would just be a, an offload however it happens Yeah I, I've got him going as well and I've just marked it down as free because yeah, I'm just happy to get rid because I think, from a culture point of view, he's the last thing I want. I think he's both arsonist and fireman. Like, yes, he pops up with big goals to rescue United, 
But one of the reasons they constantly need rescuing is because he's done absolutely nothing for the 87 minutes that precede his goal. He doesn't press. He doesn't make runs off the ball. He doesn't really do anything bar score. And he doesn't score enough anymore to warrant a place in the team and having the other 10 having to carry all that that water for him. So I've got him going as well. I think one of the things as well that his departure helps with is the wage bill. Because obviously myself and yourself will not be allowing this culture of underperforming players to earn enormous amounts of money. Um, it's also one of the reasons why I'm, I'm leaning more towards Henderson as the goalkeeper trying to force De Gea out next summer because he's a massive earner. And I want those big contracts, those bloated contracts of players that don't perform gone. I want a new policy, United, a new age structure. And he just obliterates it. Half a million a week, that's horrendous. Um, and obviously, you know, the key to keeping your job at Manchester United is not necessarily how the team performs. It's been able to go back to the Glazers and say, look, I've saved you all this money. So, you know, self-preservation has got to factor in. Um, I kept Juan Bissaka because my thought here was, I think I can maybe rework him as a flanking centre-back in a three. Now, I know he'll still struggle on the ball, but I think I can rework him, not as a starter, but as a, as a depth piece. And I know that Amram is going to play a back three, and if, if he's my sixth centre-back, I'm okay with it. There's also the factor of, there's a bit of embarrassment for United here with some of these deals. We're losing Pogba. United have thrown well over $200 million down that well between the fee, the signing bonus, the agent fees, his wages and bonuses since he's been there. That's money gone. Cristiano, 15 million to bring him in, 26 million in wages across the last season. That's a lot of money gone. I couldn't really eat the Wan-Bissaka money because the player I'm I'm choosing to sell is Harry Maguire. Club captain, but not a leader. Doesn't suit how I want to play. Simply doesn't have the right mindset or mentality to play at a top-level club. I question his fitness as well. That's an awful lot of timber that he's hauling around, and I don't necessarily think it's necessary. Um, I'm going to take a big hit on him. They paid $80 million for him. I think I can probably get 40 from a villa, from... Leicester, maybe, if Fafana was to go, although he signed a new contract, so maybe not. But they, they, they'd, I think they'd still have interest in him. I think Newcastle would have interest. I know David Moyes would love him. Zuma and Harry Maguire is probably the wet dream for David Moyes. I think I can get £40 million from him, given his standing as an England starter, given his standing as United club captain, world's most expensive defender, yada, yada, yada. I think I can get £40 million for Harry Maguire. So I've got Cristiano, Maguire, Pogba, Lingard, and Cavani going. I've boosted my pot for, to, to, to buy with the 240 million. So you've got Pogba, Lingard, Henderson, Cristiano, and Wan-Bissaka going, yeah? Yeah, that sounds right. And you're up to about 250, 255. Yeah, bit more, but really 
Yeah. Right. Okay. Right then. Um, so let's start with your signings. Who are you bringing in? If you want to do uh, one, one at a time and explain, do it by line. Maybe you were saying you're building from the back. So maybe start with the goalkeepers, then the defenders and, and go from there with me. So basically the big issue here is that United squad is awful. It's horrendously bloated. It's way, way, way too big. Massive. Loads of players out on loan. Even with the players that we've you know got rid of here, there's there's far too many. So that's the reason I've not actually spent anywhere near the, the, the budget that I've got. Um, I've brought in only a, a few players overall because otherwise I just it's the same again next year. I think that this is like I said with Lopetegui, it's a bit of a, a multiple year thing. I don't think that there's enough scope to do it all in one year unless you're happy to have another season, maybe even two seasons with like eight players on the sidelines like Lingard has been for the last couple of years, like Matter has been barely played at all this year, like Van der Beek after he came in. You're gonna have another two lines of those players if you bring in too many players. So I've tried to avoid doing that while also making a couple of signings to actually make the team better. So United have already been linked with this player, actually. He's on a free transfer. He's been at United before, and I know that you rate him higher than some of the English goalkeepers, and that's Sam Johnston. So I'm just bringing him in as a, a Bosman backup. He's still Premier League starting calibre, I would say, for a for a, a lower half team at the very least. And I think for a couple of years at least, that would be fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's, as a backup, he's absolutely solid. There's no question. He he definitely start for a number of Premier League teams. And look, we've seen keepers go into certain situations and it's just worked for them. Like, both of us thought Jose Sa was an awful signing for Wolves. Now, I still wouldn't trust my life on him, but he's had a fairly good season for them. In fact, he's he's had a good season for them. Um, Ramsdale's another one, but you, maybe you put him in that seat in that system, and you know at United, and maybe you get him up to a level where you can make him your cup goalkeeper, and and that saves, you know, saves De Gea for for the bigger games. So you've got De Gea and Sam Johnson then as your goalkeepers. Um, Tom Heaton third, Tom Heaton third, and Lee Grant fourth. I have got Henderson first, De Gea second. Tom Heaton third and, and Lee Grant fourth. So, um, right, let's move into the defence then. Mm. So, Mr. Lupetegi is going to probably play his back four. He is. And are you making additions in the defence or are you going to roll with what's already there? Because it must be said, individually, bar slabhead, I, I actually think there's quite a lot of good defenders there. I just don't think they've been coached particularly well. No, I agree. I think organisation is a big, big thing. And I think protection in front of them is another huge thing that they have not had. So I am definitely making one addition. I'm going for a a right back who is really, really good at ball carrying. Scope to get a lot better over the next few years. Um, Crossing delivery, I think, is good without being elite. But actually getting the ball into the final third is his big, big strength, as well as being a pretty tenacious defender as well. And that is former Man City Academy player, Celtic star, and Bayer Leverkusen starter, Jeremy Frimpong. Um, he's obviously not been there that long, only joined them in uh, January last year. So he's been there 18 months, getting plenty of game time this season. I think he's been really, really consistent for the most part. And I think that there's an awful lot more to come from him. He's only 21, I think, now. Mm. So 
lots and lots of talent in terms of on the ball. I think needs really good coaching for for his you know positional play and all the rest of it. But Lopetegui, I think, stars with that, uh, especially with his fullbacks. You look how Sevilla have been playing this year. They are overlapping fullbacks and they are ball carriers, but they're not necessarily just wing backs. You know, they they are players who have diligent defensive duties. They have to be very very aggressive off the ball. So. I would be prepared to spend pretty big money on bringing him in as a potential starter for this year, but definitely with you know the next four or five years in mind, I think he could be a, a very, very good attack-minded right-back. I love him. I genuinely do. And he, he'll, when we do the, the Transfer Committee podcast for, for, for Liverpool this year with myself, Dan, Gags and Mo, he, he will feature heavily in my right-back suggestions. Uh, I think he's a tremendous prospect, and he's homegrown as well, so you get that bonus too. Um, he he was on my list. I've also looked at a right wing back because I'll obviously be playing a back three, um, so he, he will definitely feature there. But I'll, I'll start with my back three. So I'm having to. I, I have spent all my money because I. While it is a multi-year thing, I do want to get it moving fairly quickly. Uh, so I've gone big on a centre-back. I've gone for Jules Kunde Because I looked at United centre-backs and I looked at the defenders at the club. I think the likes of Bailly and Lindelof are, are good squad players. They're good backup centre-backs. And as I said earlier, I'm keeping Juan Bissaka as a depth wide centre-back. So my three backup centre-backs will be Bailly, Lindelof and Wan-Bissaka. Varane, for me, at this point in his career, needs to play in the middle of a three. If he's going to play in a three, I don't want him having to defend massive spaces. But I think his his recovery ability, his reading of the game, all very, very good. does need talking to, and that's something that Jules Koundé can bring to them. But Kunde on the right of a back three is about the best I could come up with to improve their defence. So I've got Kunde in for about sixty million, which is what I think he'll go for this summer with Chelsea likely out of the mix. I don't think there's going to be a massive market for him because Real Madrid's focus is obviously at the other end of the field. So I've got Kunde coming in, and I'm going with a back three of Kunde, Varane, and this one's not ideal, but it's the best place for him in this shape. Luke Shaw, who has played in the back three before. I think defensively, he's actually quite good. I think he's a much better defensive player than he is an attacking player. But he can still carry the ball into midfield. He's a decent passer. And with Kunde and Varane, I can give him a little bit of license to be that sort of underlapping centre-back at times when needed. So I've got Kunde, Varane and Shaw with Bailly Lindelof and Wan-Bissaka as my depth. And I'm happy enough with that group for year one. Year two, we'll obviously be looking at potential upgrades on Shaw, maybe moving him into the depth role and, and moving Juan Basaka on quietly out the door. <laughs> very, very quietly. Uh, yeah, like, I think Kunde is one of the best in Europe, to be perfectly honest. And I think right of a three is perfect for him if you're looking for your wider centre-backs to do any amount of overlapping or build up play in the, in the attacking half of the pitch. He's fearless in possession. He's really, really good ball carrier. He's very, very quick in getting into a decent tackling position after transitions if his team loses. Recovery pace is obviously exceptional. So I don't think yeah. that there's any issue. I don't think you could probably do any better than that, to be honest. Yeah, so that's what I've got then in 
in in my defense. So your defense, then you're bringing in Frimpong. You'll have Delo as his backup, Shaw and Tellez on the left, and Brandon used, Williams. And Brandon Williams obviously can cover both sides as well. Um, are you you're going with Varane and Maguire as your centre backs, or have you made any changes there? So I'd I've noted down a couple, but the problem is that every time I tried to sign someone we united have so many players like i said before and at the minute even without bringing in anybody there's varan there's Maguire, lindelof by there's still phil jones there's axel twanzebe to come back off loan as well and mm. this is what i'm saying it's it's a case of like people like twanzebe and lingard and van der beek and whoever else you know they they just sat there training not playing not contributing and i think this is a big part of what united's problem is i mean you look at them and all right, the organization's not very good. There's talent on the ball, but you're sometimes just waiting for things to happen. You contrast that with the size of the squad that Liverpool have built on for the last four years, let's say, up until this season, really. It's been a lot more close-knit. It's been a lot more everybody fighting for everybody. Even the players who are on the fringes know that at some point there are going to be injuries, injuries to Henderson, to Matip, to Keita, to whoever it is, and they're going to get their chance. And I do think that that, is a really, really big part of team building when you're trying to get, well, several levels higher than United are at at the moment. So while I don't think that any of those partnerships are absolutely elite, I think it would actually be worse to bring in another one and marginalise at the very least two of them to mm. you know, basically doing nothing for the for the upcoming season again. Uh, if I, if you know, if it could have been more players on the outgoing list than I absolutely would have done. And I think Andreas Christensen, again, would be right at the top of my list, as I've mentioned him before with regards to other teams uh, on a free transfer. But as it is, I will just stick with the just the six that is already there for centre-back. And like you said before, a couple of them, even at full-back, can cover centrally as well. So I don't think there's there's a specific immediate need to go bigger there. I think if I could try and rely on him from the beginning of the season and see how long he lasts, I'd be tempted to go Eric Bailly and Varane because he yeah. is, I think Bailly is the best defender that they've got, but he's a little bit reactionary at times and obviously his fitness has been terrible. The injuries, so, yeah, the injuries yeah. are such a, a problem with him. See, I agree with you that there's just, there are far too many players there. Now, what we'd be looking to do with, with Mr. Amram in year one is to bring everybody back in and assess everybody and see if there's anybody like Axel Tunzebi who's worth keeping long term. But in year one, what we're mostly going to use them for, because United are likely going to end up in the Europa League, and I don't really care all that much for the Europa League, so it'll be largely about squad rotation. But what I what I would make use of a lot of these players for is to actually have a team, like a scout team that you'd have in American football or in college where college football where you you have a scout team that's basically gets set up to train to play like the team United are going to play. Now not every team, because obviously we know how certain teams are going to play. But in you know, at times you get a new manager into the league, you get a team that changes how they play, or in Europe you might get a team that you're just not all that familiar with. The analysts will work with one of the coaches putting together you know, this is how this team plays. And we'll coach 11 of those players to play like that team. And then we'll put them against our first team and try and deal with the issues that come up. So that's basically what year one would be about. But summer, summer number two, 
there's a big clear, big clear out coming. Lots and lots of players are going to find their way out the door because, like you said, there are just there's too many in a lot of places. Right, let's move into midfield. Um, I've gone... This is kind of where I've really gone to town in that I've changed the four-man midfield entirely. So I've got a strong backup four of Delow, McTominay, Fred and Tellez who fit how Amaran wants to play. I just don't know that I trust any of them as starters. So I've actually bought four new players across the midfield. I know it's a lot, but again, I'm not putting pressure on the manager to win anything this season. I'm not even putting pressure on them to get Champions League football. This season is all about building a new team, developing a new culture, developing an identity. So I've changed the entire midfield. Um, I've gone Max Ahrens as a right wing back. I know there's question marks over him, but I do think he's better as a wing back than a full back. I think at 22, he's got massive room for potential. He's shown he's capable of dominating the right-hand side of a football pitch. Now, admittedly, it was largely in the championship, but there have been games in the Premier League where he's been absolutely tremendous. And as a wing-back with Jules Koundé covering behind him, he can focus more on the attacking side of his game. So I've gone for him. I think somewhere in the 20 to 25 million pound range gets him. Norwich are going down. His contract is getting shorter. I'd go 20 to 25 million for Max Ahrens and bring him in to solve that, that problem spot there. Him and Delow can compete for that. I think that will help both of them improve. He fits very well into how Ruben Amaran wants to play. We've seen him have Pedro Poro and turn him into a star. And I think he can do the same with Max Ahrens. So I've got him there. On the left, I've gone for Alex Grimaldo from Benfica. Uh, he's out of contract in 2023. So I do wonder if maybe 20 million gets him this summer, given Benfica's financial problems. So he's a player I do like. I know he's been very well schooled because he came through the Barcelona Academy. He's very attack minded, he's got great delivery. And I think in him and Alex Tellez, I've got two good natural wing-backs now on the left. So I've got four natural wing-backs for those roles. In midfield, I want aggression. I want ball winning. I want progression. I want guys that can just grab hold of a game and either take control of it and really force the issue or kill a game off. So I've gone for two players here. As I said, McTominay and Fred are the backups. But I've gone Chuameni from Monaco as one. I think 50 million gets it done this summer. I know there's been prices quoted for higher than that, but I do think 50 million gets it done. And I think at 22, 21, 22, you're buying a guy that can be the foundation of your team, along with a Jules Kunde for the next decade. And that's also what I want to do is build for the longer term. I think he's what they're screaming out for. And next to him, I've gone more Premier League proven. I've gone Yves Basuma from Brighton. He's shown he can play against anybody in this division. He's very, very adaptable, comfortable in multiple different types of shapes. But I think you put him and, Bas- him and Chumeni together, both of them capable of being the one who sits, both, both of them capable of the, being the one who drives forward to join the attack. Very dynamic. 
I think those two as a pairing give me exactly what I need in the centre midfield. And with McTominay and Fred in there, I'm comfortable with that as a group. And I keep Nemanja Matic more as a mentor to them to help them on the defensive side of the game. And in certain games, it will just be a Nemanja Matic game. Like if I'm playing, I don't know, Stockport in the second round of the League Cup, Nemanja Matic slots in there, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I've also got young James Garner who joins that group who has promise, needs refining, but I think he fits in well with the likes of Basuma and Fred as that more dynamic one uh, around that kind of more powerful one like Chumeni and McTominay. So uh, I've got, I think Basuma, uh, he's Basuma about 40 million this summer with a year left on his contract is about fair. So that gets me to 200 million, uh, sorry, 190 million spent in total. 60 on Kunde. 50 on Chiumeni, 20 to 25 on Aaron's, about the same on Grimaldo and Basuma around 40 million. But I'll be looking, obviously, to do clever deals with add-ons and stuff, lower upfront payment and add-ons and stuff within those figures. So, obviously, we've seen Amorim play a few different variations in terms of his attack. So, are you looking for an outright 3-4-3 wide forwards or are you looking for the, the two behind that he's tended to do more often or just one and two up top? I'm going for the two behind, two more creative players who can give me some flexibility, who will allow me to shift from the two and the one to a one and a two, or indeed one of them potentially been able to drop back into midfield and go to a 3-5-2 if need be, or even a 3-5-1-1. So that's why I think Chiumeni and Basuma, as he has done with, say, Paulinha and Ugarte, two that sit in, give him real control of games, have that ability to just take over and dominate games, but can still add to the attack with their off-ball running or with their ball carrying. Both of them very capable carrying the ball. And just the physicality is a big thing as well. One of the things I've, I've long complained about with United is just how soft they are in the middle of the park. And I think if you add these two, you're not going to be soft in there anymore. And Roy Keane and Graeme Souness, when they're sitting on Super Sunday, they'll be looking down and thinking, those are my type of midfielders. And of course, that'll lead back to praise for those who brought them in, which is, of course, praise for me from Roy Keane and Graeme Souness, the two most important midfielders in the history of English football. <laughs> oh, dear. It's all just a big ego trip for Dave, isn't it? Pretty you much. no interest in making United good. You just want the applause. <laughs> Do you not think this is the main, the basis of something very, very good? Uh, yeah, like I, I think... It, it's well, getting I, there. It's getting there. It, it, I, 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 ideally, I'd be getting a different goalkeeper. I'd be replacing Luke Shaw. But you can only do so much in one summer. And I thought, you know, I, I've got six new additions coming in, six starters. I figured that's about as much as I'll get away with in one summer without complete catastrophe. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's, it's a lot of changeover and... You look at what Arsenal did in the in the January transfer window, that's basically what United need to do in any of the upcoming windows, and possibly more than one of them, is just offload a load of players, realise that you're going to have to make a loss on some, or you know loan them out and therefore devalue them, or whatever it is. You've got to offload them to be able to hone the squad and really do a good amount of team building. I think that that's the biggest issue facing whoever comes in for United. And I think... With all the Pochettino rumours, obviously, you've seen that he struggled with that this season. At Spurs, he had, again, a really tight-knit squad, didn't sign that many players year after year, brought through a couple of players from the Youth Academy. It was all very together, you know? And this squad that he has there is obviously 
as far removed from that as is possible to be. So that is a big job for whoever they actually get in in the end. I bought one of them as well. I've bought two of many. Um, yeah. And looking at, obviously, Lopetegui, he plays a 4-3-3 more often than not with Sevilla on the ball in possession, especially when they need to go attacking. It does pivot to probably not a 4-2-3-1 so much as a 4 Four one one almost, where you sort of still have these wider players tucking into the quite narrow attacking roles, and then one of the attacking midfielders, whether that's Jean Jordan or Rich, really pushes on closer to the forward line. So I'm sticking with that four three three, and obviously Fernandez is the one who is really going to push higher up for me. Mm. But at the base of them, that's true. Many he has everything that we don't want United to sign this summer. To be perfectly honest yeah. with you. Um, yeah. you look at any of the metrics that you want your defensive midfielder to have you think of everything good that Fabinho does is, is ball winning, his aerial ability, his tackling his really really consistent passing and even a few other things that Fabinho doesn't have so much like the ball carrying ability he is at or near the top for most metrics and you can say it's only league earned, but that's exactly where Fabinho came from and this guy has the capacity to play in a two, he has the capacity to play at the base of a three, he can play as an eight, he can do whatever you want him to. He is a superb, superb midfielder. Um, I agree with you in terms of a slightly lower price, but I have actually allocated up to 80 million based on the fact that if United come calling, the price tends to go up and based on how much United have paid for other players previously, such as Harry Maguire. So I would comfortably pay 80 million because he is the linchpin of this rebuild. Yeah, I, I, I would I would pay it without question. I, I think he's that special. And I have to say, as an aside, I really do hope he ends up at Liverpool this summer. Um, David Ornstein obviously reported that we do have strong interest in him. And uh, I actually have a question for you at the end of this about something Ornstein has said today. But I think Chiu, like if we could add ourselves, we could add Chuameni and Frimpong, the two lads you're bringing in, I, I think that would be... an that alone would be an outstanding summer. If nothing else happened and we just added those two while moving on, like your Nat Phillips, your Nico Williams, I think we'd be in, in great shape. Um, so your midfield three then, am I right in thinking it's Bruno, Chouameni and Fred? Yes, Chouameni and Fred. And then the backups basically is Matic for Chouameni. McTominay instead of Fred as that box-to-box and or second pivot. And Donny van der Beek for the Bruno. Cool. Right, so in my in my two behind the one, I've gone with Bruno on tucked in on the right hand side, trying to take away as much of the desires that Bruno has to drop really deep or to try and launch those long balls. I'm gonna try and get him to stay as high up the pitch as I can. Um I've got Ahmad Diallo as sort of the backup to him. I know he's a very different type of player, but he's a player I really would want. In my match day squad, I think he's a very special talent. Jaden Sancho will be the other one, obviously more of a ball carrier, but I I still think he's he's somewhere between a winger and a ten. He's got the skill set of a winger, but he doesn't have the pace of a winger, and he has the mindset of a ten where he wants to be that creative one. And the sp- the space he picks up, I think him and Bruno could work really well in behind the striker, picking up second balls as well, linking with those attacking wing-backs that I've got. I think it would suit Sancho as well because he can drop wide left, link with Grimaldo, and I think that's something that could be very exciting. We've obviously seen him 
when he was at Dortmund linking with Guerrero down the left and they were sensational or when he was on the right and he linked with um, uh, Hakimi. So what you could nearly say is that Bruno will stay more central behind the striker and Sancho can flip wing to wing and just mix and match with those fullbacks and create havoc. Um, I've got Marcus Rashford. Actually, Rashford's probably the backup for Bruno and Ahmad is more the backup for Sancho as that kind of winger who can play both sides but tucked in as a creative sort of second 10. Uh, what have you done in your front three? So my wide forwards are pretty standard in from out and I've got Elanga, Mata, Diallo and Pereira who's obviously coming back as it stands unless mm. uh, Flamengo take up the buy option on him. So they are all going to battle it out for right-sided spots. Obviously, the emphasis there you would expect to be on Ahmad and Elanga as the younger players and hopefully ones that can contribute lots and lots in future. Sancho is starting on the left and will be always starting on the left unless he is rotated, injured and or woefully out of form as he was at the start of the season. But I'm hoping that with a competent coach in place, that won't be the case too often. Um, I think with Lopetegui, one of the most consistently impressive things that you can see in his team he gets his uh, wide forwards not just scoring goals and not just you know in in really really good attacking areas but heavily involved in build-up play able to play both centrally and uh, out very very wide indeed really gets them to stretch play at times and be the outlet for the team but obviously a very very big drive and force as well he likes a lot of power as well as speed and technical ability you look at people like Ocampos that we've spoken about before even Lamela coming in and playing a very, very similar role. Rafa Mir, when he starts centrally, he'll often be told to make these runs down the right-hand channel, and he's so, so quick, so strong. He just blitzes away from the defence as a, as a real outlet for them as well. So I would I would have quite high hopes of Sancho being you know, everything that we expect him to be, basically, under somebody like Lopetegui. Up front, I did uh, ponder bringing in somebody here because of... Ronaldo exit that we've uh, sanctioned but basically it's the same thing as before you've got so many options there and I've had to give Cavani a new deal that basically I'm given Marshall and Rashford one season only to prove which one of them should stay as United and or can be a centre forward an actual centre forward in their career so one of those two is going to be starting most of the time Cavani as and when required and if none of them do the business then there's always January so who's so Sanchez on the left Rashford Cavani through the middle. Who's on the right? Either Alango or Ahmad. Okay, okay. So you're not bringing anyone up front? No. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. You've also got young Palestri as well, who's due back off loan, who's meant to be very, very highly talented. I mean, one of the things I see... there for three positions. It is true. It is true. They've got a lot of options and... Uh, we've both, both kept Juan Mata, so there's got to be you know some sort of minute allocation for him to get him 15 minutes a season. Um, there is a lot of options, but I still want my stri- my striker. I still have to have my striker. I've got Sancho. I've got Bruno. I've got Rashford and Ahmad. I've got Martial, who I'm keeping as my backup nine. I know I can play a Lang and Palestri as well, but I, you know, I think one of the things you would be looking to do, you'd look be looking to do a bit of horse trading as well. So, say for Chuameni, one of the ways you might be able to get his price down is to maybe pawn off someone like a Palestri. Even if it's a two-year loan as, as opposed to a permanent deal, you might be looking to move on certain players who, you know, in those type of deals to circumvent the five-outgoing the five rule. 
Um, but I've got 50 million left and I'm throwing it all at, at Darwin Nunes. And I'm bringing him in as my, my focal point, as my number nine, as the guy who can play back to goal, who can also run the channels. I think him and Sancho works. I think him and Bruno works. He's a really good target man. So if I can get quality delivery from the likes of Aaron's and the likes of Grimaldo, I think that works. So I've gone for him. Again, I might be light on some of the prices, but I think I can make it work by offering, you know, Michael Edwards type deals where, you know, it's 50 million down rising to 70 if the add-ons are hit. But to hit those add-ons, the team has had great success. So you don't mind paying them out. We've won titles. We've won Champions Leagues. He's scored 25 goals in a season, things like that to get the add-ons. So, um, I've gone for Darwin with Martial as the backup, kind of an alternative type, a different type of striker. Could play in a two if need be, if we wanted to have a different look, maybe play Sancho behind them or Bruno behind them. Um, I've realized now as I do this, I've, I haven't included Donny van de Beek at all in my group. So he's probably more the backup for, for Bruno than, than Ahmad would be. And Ahmad can just figure it out because he's only a kid. But he'll be in and around, in and around, like like a Lang and people like that. Um, it is funny when you do this, Carl, and you realise just how many players they have, uh, and just how many, but how many good players as well. Like the first team is a mess, but there is a squad there that somebody could do something with. Like there is over the course of say a three year rebuild, which I think what both of us would really be looking to do here. Like, for me, I'd be looking, this is my first summer. We're going really deep with this. The second summer, we're going to trim the fat, get rid of the players that the coach has realized or, or has decided on he doesn't want. It's going to be a big part of year one is talent evaluation of what's in-house. Get rid of a bunch of players. Maybe look to add one or two more. And then in that second season, again, it's it's more of the same. It's hammering home the fundamentals of the system, building the culture, building the identity. And in that third summer, that's then where we're looking for those one or two final moves to elevate us to a title winner, a Champions League winner. And by then, in that third season, you're hoping to have exactly the type of squad you have. Like, even with Klopp, it took him a couple of years to get to that point. There were some hangers on, some players on contracts that Liverpool couldn't shift out of the way. And that made it quite difficult for Klopp in the first couple of years because, you know, he was having to find some minutes for these guys in the domestic cups. And it basically just meant throwing away the domestic cups. And I think, you know, we'd have to see some of that as well. But I I do think an aggressive approach or like you're doing that kind of longer view approach, you could really build something at United in a three-year window. But you have to get the right people in place and, and the likelihood is they won't. That's, you know, even if they appoint Ten Hag, you feel like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't. I feel like it doesn't really matter who goes, who goes in there because unless what's above them changes, I just don't see anything good happening. Like if, if John Murtaugh is making the football decisions, I don't feel like that's a club that's going to progress. If there's no sporting director, I don't feel like they'll progress. I'd ask questions over everybody over the recruitment department, 
You wouldn't be overly impressed with their medical department in recent years. You'd wonder what they do on the analytics side of things. Like, how is it that they go about these things? So there's so much that needs to change above the manager that them appointing Eric Ten Hag or Pochettino or Lupitegi or Amarim by themselves simply isn't enough. They've got to bring in that sporting director. And it can't just be Ralph Ranić as a, as a consultant. It has to be somebody whose entire focus, whose life is built around getting this club right. And you've got to go out with a strategic approach across every single sector of the club. Are we maximizing this? Is this being run as well as it can? From And I mean every single aspect from, you know, is our travel right all the way up to, you know, are we buying the right players? The answer to the end question is clearly no. But, you know, are they getting all of their match day preparation correct as well? And all these things Liverpool have taken so long to hit on perfectly and those small margins that Klopp has always looked for. All of that needs to change at United or it really doesn't matter who comes in. They're just going to be in the same sort of cycle. Yeah, I agree. Like I said before about Pochettino as an example, you have to have the right environment for for anybody to thrive in, whether that's the players or the coaches. Uh, we've we've seen plenty of really good coaches go to clubs where you think that they'll do well given the playing squad, but the actual club itself is a bit of a mess and people making decisions above them are not on board or didn't want this one or there was a board split of who to get and so it was a compromise which suited nobody at all. This is kind of what United are at the minute. There's people making the decisions who are not really qualified to. There are people making the decisions based on things other than on the pitch. I don't know what the transfer system or... or process has been over the last couple of years other than a shambles it's been all over the place it's been so hit and miss it has been embarrassingly public at times and still failed they they seem to be stuck in this old weird way of look how big we are we're going to put pressure on you it just doesn't work teams have too much money now and the players are much more capable of taking care of their own uh, career paths as well than just having to go to man united this year or it'll never happen for us again united are just they're not that good and players know it, so they're not going to be that desperate to go immediately. You know, look at Sancho. He could have pushed a lot harder than he did with uh, Dortmund the year before he actually signed for United. He was perfectly happy to stay, wait, get better, get more game time, get in the England squad. It'll happen for them. If they're that good, it'll still happen for them, and they'll still go to United or another team, whatever it is. And as for three years for United, I think that that is exactly when they should be looking for the title push really you got two years now to rebuild and then you know 2024 Jurgen Klopp's gone Liverpool could well be facing at least a season if not a couple of years of having to not rebuild the team but having to re-center how they make a title fight under a new manager because it's very rarely really really smooth especially for a team you know not like Chelsea where they literally bring people in to do very specific jobs and that's their culture and that's the club that this is not what Liverpool are that's not how Liverpool are built so I do think that there could be a bit more pain for Liverpool in in moving on from the manager than Chelsea find sometimes for example so 2024 if you've done two years of real good groundwork at United before then 24-25 could be the season you push everything for it yeah and I mean that that would be very much my plan as well if, if you were walking in the door would be to you know, to look at that season because if if Pep leaves City, 
who knows what happens with Arsenal? I mean, I, I still don't trust them at all. Conte could be gone. Chelsea, as you said, Liverpool, as you said, like there, there is a real possibility that in, in two and a half, three years, the, the landscape in English football looks so, so different. And the issue for United as well is that now there's another big dog in the fight with Newcastle and all the money that they could have behind them. So who knows what happens there? Uh, just on United, one thing on the recruitment and then something else from your former colleague at the Independent, Melissa Reddy, who has now announced that she's going to Sky. Um, this was from March the 6th. She tweeted this. Often wonder about the 803 other right backs on Manchester United's database before they plumped for Aaron Wambasaka at 50 million. When United came out and said that, like we looked at 804 right backs and decided on him, I think they thought it made them sound really clever, but it it made them sound completely disorganized and like absolute fools because there are not 804 good right backs in world football. There just aren't. Like not even good enough to play for United, good enough to play in the Premier League, there aren't 804. There's about 10 to 12 who are good enough to play for United if United want to be one of the best teams in the world. There's 10 to 12. So this kind of scattergun approach of, you know, broad-ranging spectrums of what we're looking at here is, is a mess. She's also reported today, I think this might be her first story for Sky, uh, Manchester United. No meetings with Ralph Ranick over consultancy role. So they're not even talking to him about it. Not expected to be very hands-on. I said this to you at the time. He's been given this consultancy deal to make up for the two years he was contracted to Locomotive Moscow after this. So he would give up the two and a half years of pay he was guaranteed there to come to United for six months. That's all that'll be. It's his consultancy firm, not necessarily him. Tuchel media, talk, Tuchel, media talk, not reality. I think everybody knew Thomas Tuchel's not going to. Why would he go to United? Like, unless Marina were to go there, why would he go to United? And then four-man shortlist with split over Pochettino Ten, ten Hag. Um, greater guarantee versus exciting popular choice. So Pochettino, kind of more of a known quant- quantity. But greater guarantee of what? It would be the question for me. Like, what does Pochettino guarantee you? Certainly not success. He's going to win the French League this year. And PSG are having probably the worst season they've had in a decade. They're worse this season than they were last season. They're worse this season than they were the year they lost it to Monaco. Monaco, they're just very lucky there's no real contender there this year. And they got wiped off the pitch yesterday by Monaco. So it, it, it just shows the chaotic nature of what's going on and how, you know, they have the option of using a resource like Ranić, and they're not going to do it. It's going to be Richard Arnold promoted from within, John Murtaugh promoted from within, and Darren Fletcher, who nobody can explain what his role is, but a favourite of Ferguson promoted from within. It's jobs for the boys, and it continues to be that. And as long as it is that, it doesn't matter who the manager is. It doesn't really matter who they sign. It will all be too chaotic. You're never, ever, ever going to win the Premier League unless behind the scenes 
there is complete harmony and everybody pulling in the one way, a, a consistent message, a real identity. And if you look at the teams that have won the Premier League, City, Liverpool, City, City, Chelsea, Leicester, Chelsea, like it's not, it doesn't happen with complete chaos. There might be some element of chaos. You know, the manager might be a bit chaotic, like Conte or Mourinho. But above them, calm. Everybody knows what their role is. Best people in all different areas. You go back to United under Ferguson. Mourinho's first tenure, Ancelotti's Chelsea. Go back further to Wenger's Arsenal. Go back further to Kenny Dalglish at Blackburn. All those other United teams. There's always been an identity to the team a consistent approach, everybody knowing what their role is, everybody knowing what their job for the betterment of the club is, and everybody pulling in the same direction. United, that's not the case. They might all want United to do well, but these aren't best-in-class people. These are people who've kissed the right backsides to get their jobs. And until United make a decision that, yes, Richard Arnold might be very suitable to run the, the business side, like Ed Woodward would have been suitable to run the business side, but someone has to go in and run the football side. It's not John Murtaugh, who did a poor job running their academy and got promoted from it. He failed up. It doesn't matter what they do. It really doesn't. Yeah, there's a big thing to do there this summer, and the decisions that they take probably this summer will... I would imagine affect the next five years for them, uh, for good or for bad. And to be perfectly honest, how they still at this point do not have a first clear choice to be the manager for next season is, I, I think, quite embarrassing. I don't understand what they think they're going to learn or find out or know or decide with any head coach in European or world football across the next month that they couldn't have found out or already known over the last five months. It, it it's it's beyond me. It really, really is. So, like I said just a few minutes ago, actually, if there's you know a split in the boardroom as they tend to call it, and some people want someone, and it ends up being a, I rarely find that it works out well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Right, we will leave it there. Uh, hopefully, people have enjoyed listening to this. I, I think we should do it again for a couple more clubs. Maybe take the same type of approach of PSG. Over this international break, maybe do that one next week if you want. Uh, but before we go, I do have a question for you. David Ornstein in his piece today has said that Liverpool are one of a number of clubs who've had conversations about Cody Gakbo of PSV Eindhoven. Uh, thoughts on the player? What do you think his arrival would mean? Because he does predominantly play from the left. So you'd then have him and Diaz as those sort of left-wingers who can play centrally. Would that hint to you at a departure? And if so, who would that departure be? Because Sadio would seem like the obvious one, given how Gakbo plays. Um, yeah. yeah, it would hint at Sadio. I've said quite a few times now, I do think that there'll be two departures this year, and it looks like Origi obviously would be one of them. And then... I mean, if you get Gakpo, that's <laughs> very, very exciting in terms of playing style. Lots and lots of um, uh, final third productivity there. It's the end of the year, and from an attacking perspective, you do have to uh, temper the numbers a little bit, but I will just say that there is 
no player in Europe's top five leagues who manages this season an average of three shots per game, three key passes per game, and three dribbles per game. Nobody. Nobody at all. Any forward in Europe's top five leagues. He does. That's what he does. That's what his role is in the team. Make stuff happen and in all the different ways. Really, really good movement. Very intelligent player. Technically has come on loads across the last 18 months. And at 22, it's not too late for him to have another year, I don't think. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago where we were talking about like De Jong and Van der Beek and De Ligt all leaving um, Ajax, and only a couple of them did, and Van der Beek got sort of left behind almost for a year, and he did kind of regress that last year at Ajax, and or at the very least he didn't get any better, and then obviously the move to United hasn't worked out at all. I don't think it's quite the same for Gakpo, because he was not a starter as young as uh, De Jong and Van der Beek were. He has sort of exploded in the last sort of two years, really. So I wouldn't be massively against seeing him stay where he is and getting more game time. But obviously, if it if it turns out situational that Liverpool do have a spot open up, and I do think he's perfectly fine on the right as well. He does definitely play more on the left for them, and uh, Sinistera plays from the from the right, obviously as well. So price wise, I wouldn't expect that there'd be too much of a departure from sort of Jota Diaz price range but I don't know I I, I think that there's a lot to be said for something we've spoken I think on a a recent podcast as well a big big group of players in key areas of the pitch who are all of that 26 to 30 age group I think that tells a lot and you can't Mm. go completely the other way we're not in a rebuild phase anymore we have to add new pieces to the team but you don't want to be relying all the young players. So I think if you know Origi and Minamino were to depart for, then yeah, you could look for someone who is versatile and can play all the way across that attacking line. They would get minutes here and there and in the cup, and maybe they could be in place to start. But he's not someone who's going to come in and have a Diaz-like impact immediately. I wouldn't imagine. I agree. I agree. He's having a great season: sixteen goals, fifteen assists in 2,720 minutes across all competitions. It's impressive, but it is a big, big step up. And to replace a player like Sadio, he, he, he'd he be on the list for me, but he'd be substantially down the list. Um, I do, again, like as you said, if, if it was a case where Origi and Taki were leaving and we wanted someone to come in and be like the sixth attacker, then absolutely, absolutely. He he'd be right up there for that kind of role, um, but if he's someone that we need to come in and have a massive impact straight away, talented and all as he is, I I'd have hesitancies over him. Um, and like you said, it, maybe he could just do with that one more year with PSV just to refine some parts of his game. He's contracted till twenty twenty six, so plenty of time. He'll be twenty three in May. So there shouldn't be any real rush on getting him out of there. Um, But the price will will dictate a lot. If someone throws 45 million at 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 PSV, they are taking it. If it's more in that 30 to 35 million pound range, maybe they'll hold off another year and think maybe he explodes again and we get bigger money. But, you know, I I think he's he's certainly a talented player and one to keep an eye on. Right, we'll leave it there. Anything you've got coming this week that you want people to know about? No, I'm on holiday. I've literally come on here just to speak to you lovely people, and that's it. 
See this, see this, folks. This man went to went to Spain in, in January, and now he's on holiday again. This is the life of a high-ranking journalist in this country. This is what they do. They they just gallivant, jet set lifestyles, hedonistic stuff. If you're going to be anywhere nice, this, if you're going to be spreading this kind of disinformation every time I go on holiday, I am an investigative journalist. This is what I do. <laughs> oh dear. Dan Cannon's son is Nat, Nat Phillips. Eddie Gibbs is the King of Scotland. Gags Tandon's first cousin is Pretty Patel. And you are always on holiday, basically. <laughs> Part-time worker. Uh, we will leave it there for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back later this week with something else. And then we'll probably try and fix PSG or somebody else maybe next week. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.